Colorado Springs number one car show by default. This is Automotive ADHD. Okay, here we are rocking it on the bonus edition of the Automotive ADHD show. Now, if you're new to this, which you are, because this is the first one that we're doing, um, and you can hear my, my guest over here That's chuckling. Set him up. <laughs> yeah, yep, there you go. So the bonus edition, here's a new thing that I'm going to do. Um, every so often, we are going to do uh, more of a free-flowing conversation, especially when I have a guest like OBD1 Kenobi sitting across the toolbox or standing across the toolbox from me here. And uh, this will be a podcast exclusive, and you can find it on YouTube and Rumble as well as on podcast. But this is bonus. If you're listening on the podcast, this is something the radio listeners aren't getting. So this is one reason why you should listen to, well, both the radio and then this bonus episode right here. So this is a new thing. I can't promise it every week, but we're going to do these as much as we can, uh, just like right now. So uh, we were talking about before we wrapped up the radio show there, Brian, um, we were talking about EVs. And one thing I wanted to ask is how have how have things changed in terms of like training? Right. How have manufacturers actually rolled out training? Yeah. So we for stopped, these new things. We stopped at the uh, I mean, talking about the battery catching fire with the probe. Right. Right. Um, and like I said, the acidic, um, the acidic blood or something. Um, I think the other things that have really changed is the way they handle PPE and paperwork trails. Okay. Um, we have to, anytime that we're servicing any part of the, the high voltage system, we can still service part of these cars without shutting them down. But um, for example, doing a high voltage coolant heater because it's a BEV or it's all at your car, mm-hmm. got to use electricity to make the heat. Um uh, when you have to replace something like that that's directly involved with high voltage, you have to disable the whole car. Okay. Uh, mainly for us, I don't know how it is for anyone else because this is my very narrow perspective on it. Um, it usually involves disconnecting twelve volt battery and then pulling what essentially is a breaker or a jumper for the ba- high voltage battery that breaks mm-hmm. into two pieces and then basically makes an incomplete circuit. So there should be no risk of you getting shocked, right? And is that like a full physical breaker? Like you would actually be on the high voltage yes. line, it is. Actually, it exists on top of the battery for us. I'm Like I said, not sure for everyone else. Um, but it is literally massive contacts that are cammed into place. Okay. And not only are they cammed into place with large contacts, there's a redundancy behind it okay. to check that it's actually connected in. So obviously, if it's not fully attached, those won't seat. And then the uh, car will fail to start or operate. Right, and I assume it would give you some error, you know, precisely some some type of code. Um, my from my best understanding, there's about three different ways these cars, maybe three is the wrong amount, that they can check for failures as far as high voltage cabling goes. Mm-hmm. Um, they can check for um the uh ins- they check the insulation for example, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's mega ohms. Uh, okay. They can check the resistance of the insulation to ground. Versus the high voltage, I mean, call that an, like a isolation test mm-hmm. or sorry, that's an insulation test. Isolation test, if I remember correctly, gosh, doing this from memory sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have an EV here for you just to like point so it out. On. I will I'm say not, like just to just, that cool. jump, just to jump off the bandwagon real quick or go off another tangent. Um, it's been kind of tough because I will say, um, although these cars are strangely complex, they they have not been coming in the dealership a lot. Really? Yeah. Have they been typically reliable? How have, have that's that's so far the general consensus is that they're pretty reliable. Um, I have a feeling that the only things that you'll genuinely see on these cars needing like routine services maybe might involve just battery packs. And to be honest, it seems like the battery packs are going quite the distance. I 
don't think I've seen us have any of our original high voltage hybrid cars come in needing a new battery pack yet. That's interesting. So there's this there's this misconception that I hear with EVs, which is that, oh, you got to replace the battery every however many thousands of miles and it's $100,000 or some stupid amount, right? I don't doubt the dollar amount, but I think that now that they're starting to mature, um, we're going to start seeing batteries go a little bit farther, a little bit more reliable. I mean, just with anything that's the first generation, it just always has its quirks. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said... The uh, the full electric cars that we have now, I, I rarely see them in. And I think from a technician's perspective, we're more worried about um, how our job's going to look in the next 10 years. Right, right. How it's, does that affect the industry, right? If the, cars, precisely. if the cars are more reliable, if you're not working on them as much, aside from maybe some big ticket items here and there occasionally, how does that affect the service industry? How do dealerships maintain profitability in their service area? And how do... Uh, private technicians uh, maintain that. And well, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. How about this? What are your thoughts on even private technicians servicing EVs when manufacturers are so locked down with the proprietary stuff? Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to get any better. You don't think so? No, I can't. I don't think I should say a a whole lot on that subject. I don't want to get myself in trouble. But (laughs) I do know that they aren't building these cars so that people can service them themselves. Mm. They certainly aren't building them for bomb pop shops to work on. Um, they're definitely looking to have their cars come back to their dealerships mm-hmm. under their, you know, brand because they would like them to be serviced in shop. I mean, a lot of it is under the thought of, of the safety behind this. I right. mean, there's a lot of under misunderstood problems or dangers with the high voltage. I mean, um, can we quote the, uh, was it uh, Richard Hammond get crashing the all full electric car? Yeah. Uh, Richard Hammond from old top gear crashing the Rimac. Um, I can't remember which model Rimac it is. Rimac's making some really interesting cars still like they're, they're making some new advancements on them. It's really cool. I, I like what Rimac is doing, but, um, but yeah, he, the, the thing was like the car kept catching fire after the fact it was a whole, whole thing. The, the general consensus is that once one of these cars catch, there is no putting it out. You have to let it burn. Yeah, that's true. And that just changes the whole thing for fire departments. They can't put water on them. Yeah, there was actually a topic I did on this show again, probably a year or so ago. um, And I actually played a clip from a fire department training video about addressing EVs. And I mean, it addressed things. It was it was a, a video more for internal use for fire departments, you know, to train their staff train their first responders on, you know, uh, you know, how do you disconnect the high voltage? You know, you've got those areas that are designed to be cut by the first responders. They you've do, got that stuff. They do purposely put the high voltage cables in places where you should never have to cut. So obviously if you're cutting an A or B pillar out or a D pillar, C pillar, whatever, um, there's not going to be any orange cables going those directions. So you should be safe. Right. But they have specifically, and I, I shouldn't say that they should cut the cables. They specifically talked about areas on the EV that are designed for the first responder to break the high voltage system, the circuit, if you will. Yeah. um, That I don't know. I wonder if they are actually going through like the different models and showing them where like this was specifically connect is this was specifically relating to a Tesla. And and again, with this being more of the free flowing kind of segment here after the radio show, I don't actually have this pulled up in front of me. But if uh, if someone wants to go see this, it is on a, a later or an earlier show. You can scroll through your podcast feed and you can find that. And I play clips from that from that video. But it also addressed the fact of how fire uh, firefighters should 
put out those fires. Like they had a procedure for trying to actually extinguish the fire. They're using things like thermal imaging to see if another cell underneath the car, like in the battery pack is like running away so they can figure out where the hot spots are. The whole thing revolved around dousing the fire with what they had and then looking for hot spots and waiting. No wait for the next fire to pop up douse that look for the next hot spot start preemptively trying to cool that hot spot with water and a lot of folks say well you can't put out a lithium battery fire with water but what they're doing with the water is they're cooling those hot spots down before they run away and actually turn into a combustion type of fire i feel like that's going to be something where it's kind of touch and go because if the battery cells are exposed in a certain fashion yeah you might not be able to cool them they might just accelerate the process so now, I think a lot of that's just going to be the, you know, uh, firefighters having to understand what they're looking at. Right, right. And I, I think there's that, been uh, there've been a lot of naysayers on EVs and, and, and listeners of my show know my position, which is that I think government shouldn't regulate what kind of cars we can buy. If I want to buy a gas car, I can buy a gas car. If I want to buy an EV because it makes more sense for my use case, then I, I should go be able to buy an EV. But the fact is, I mean, there are differences with EVs. A lot of people say, oh, if you get an EV, it's going to immediately combust. Majority <laughs> of EVs don't do that. No. <laughs> um, and for the record, you know, to play devil's advocate here, gas cars do combust as well. Like, like I'm, I'm having, I'm thinking of images of Ford Pintos catching on fire. They certainly probably don't catch on fire the way that everyone seems to think so in the movies. But well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 but also in reality too, when a, when a combustion engine based car catches fire, Typically, it's a fairly straightforward process to put it out. And that's what we're seeing is different, at least with an EV. When it does catch fire, there are it's not impossible to put it out. People will say it's impossible. That's not true. But there are significantly more considerations that the emergency responders have to make, especially in a critical time where it's high stress. There's a fire. There might be people around. It might be in a high stress area or it might be in a home if it's in a garage or something. You know, you could almost argue that, you know, like... The thing we talk about with EVs and the reliability, mm-hmm. I think with any of these new technologies, people think that jobs will go away. But I, I just thinking about it that way, I, I don't want to twist this in a weird way, but you almost think that like for those firefighters now to have to go the extra mile to understand how these electric vehicles put together, mm-hmm. they should see some sort of pay raise or more, maybe more jobs involved in the fire department to handle something like that. Maybe. And uh, I'm, I'm speaking as a guy who wrenches on cars, not a uh, expert in first responders and, you know, and that stuff. But I mean, you maybe even have a guy or you have a crew within a single guy in your fire crew who's trained specifically. He's a specialist on, you know, EV fires, for example. And so he's the guy when you have an EV fire, who's maybe directing things at that point, instructing other people on what to do. And then you maybe, I mean, obviously a firefighter is going to be well-rounded in dealing with multiple types of fires, multiple sources of fire. But if they have to be specialized in one more thing, that's one more thing, especially right. something that's going to become very common. I mean, when uh, I was at a conference about um, some of our new electric cars, mm-hmm. they were even going over, you know, the resistance to change, um, the same thing dealt back with the horseless carriages and they had pictures before and after like decade or two, I think in New York back in the 19, 19- I know exactly what image you're, yes. your picture you're pointing at. And, and it was like times square. You I may think. have, yeah, you may have seen this image on the internet, which is showing the same position. That's a photo taken from the same spot, 10 years apart. And one is filled with, you know, horses and buggies. Uh, and the other is filled with the, the motor car. Right. And the thing though is. I don't think, at least my two cents on this, I don't think this is necessarily going to happen with electric cars and gas cars. We saw the same thing happen when we went pretty much from CRT TVs 
to LCD TVs, when we did the digital conversion too, with, you know, because um, a lot of these, you know, analog TVs with built in rabbit ears, for example, couldn't accept a new digital TV signal. And people were literally just throwing out CRTs, which weirdly enough in the tech space are like, they have this little like underground resurgence now. Like guys are looking for CRTs. You do not understand how cool CRTs are. <laughs> well, they are. From a technical aspect, they're really cool. And there's some really cool hobbyist stuff we you can do with them now. The CRT technology. I mean, just to go off tangent, was had a way better like contrast ratio than LCDs. Well, and, and for and some reason, we came up with that too. first. Yeah, and the like the computers we had at the time couldn't even couldn't even take advantage of the CRTs we had. Well, and you get guys who are essentially overclocking CRTs and yeah. doing like you know five hundred hertz and stuff at super low resolution, but yeah, but still high refresh rate. Um, Native. But, what the example I was making and t- tying it back into cars was, you know, that that um, that, you know, OK, overnight in 10 years, you've got horses and buggies and then you've got cars. And then overnight we went from essentially CRTs to LCDs. But the thing is, that's because that the alternate the new technology was so much better than the outgoing technology. Yes, the motor car was better than the horse and buggy. But the thing is, electric isn't monumentally better than gas. It has benefits in certain areas, but I it's want to not, argue with you. Okay, we can argue, but <laughs> it's not so much of a, you know, it's not so much of a tremendous benefit versus a gas car. It's it's not like night and day. It's I think different characteristics in I my opinion. I think the reason that it's going to take off obviously one is technology. Right. And with any new technology, the other stuff gets outdated, it gets thrown in the trash unfortunately, which sucks. Um I think there might be obviously some resistance because I'm also a gearhead and I love hearing the good raw sounds of a combustion motor. But the thing is, okay, with all these, uh, this new generation, right? Right. Um, you can hop in an EV car and it's like no different than like having a cell phone. I, I consider that and, a problem personally, but <laughs> and you, that, but there's literally no maintenance to worry about. No, that's true, and and I've talked about this on on the show before, which is that you have, um, especially Gen Z, the younger Gen Z uh, folks, and even the ones who are just starting to drive for the first time. Um, they, uh, you know, and I, I went on a whole whole rant about this on the radio show a few weeks ago. Um, you ask a Gen Z person, a young Gen Z person, uh, what do you want in a car? Oh, I want it. I want it. It's got to be comfortable and it's got to have a good sound system. Creature features. Right. It's creature features. Um, They want to be able to enjoy the comfort of the car. They want to listen to tunes in the car. Maybe they want the car to be exotic in one way or another because it's got some social media credit. They're not interested at all, at all in how it drives. And I'm I'm sure there's some younger Gen Z folks. I I see my podcast demographics. I know there's some younger folks who listen to this show and they're clearly enthusiasts. And and if that's you, you are the you're the outlier. You're the exception to this. But I think generally speaking, Gen Z cares about the creature features of a car and not how it drives. And you compare that we're in the garage here to behind you is my S2000 there. That is a car with literally zero creature features. And it's all about the driver. I think this would have been different. Because I mean, you know how you said like you know pushing this electric technology. I really wish that we could have instead of all of a sudden trying to adapt EVs as the main mm-hmm. that we would have for a much longer time trying to push the agenda of having. I think I've told you this before, but having a uh, more energy diverse like climate where people were already had like EVs that on this level available to them. Mm-hmm. 
because I think one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest wins with the EVs mm-hmm. um, is not, it's not necessarily the range. It's, it's about the fact that, you know, with the, with the gasoline car, you're idling a light, you're wasting gas. Right, right. With these EV cars, they're fantastic around town because you can almost reclaim the energy that you've used going up like rolling hills and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And also because you're not going fast, um, that high, that electricity goes quite a bit further in the, in the city. It almost would have made sense if we could have kept a, an energy reverse form where people had gasoline cars to do trips and long distance things or maybe heavy commuting things. Well, and I think long distance hauling too. I mean, long yeah. distance hauling, absolutely. You know, electric can't, well, battery, BEV, BEV, BEV electric can't touch that. However, tying that into to your point there, um, perhaps if people, people who are maybe more environmentally focused than they are on, you know, being a car enthusiast, and there's a lot of, a lot of folks who just care about the environmental impact of their car and they're buying EVs and they are sorely, uh, misinformed about the environmental impact of an EV. Um, you shouldn't be buying an EV for its environmental purpose over a gas car, in my opinion, at all. I mean, they, they're two different platforms that do two different things. And they, in fact, they affect the environment in two different ways, typically speaking. But the thing is, um, if you really wanted to get on board with what's the most efficient it's going to be a hybrid. It's going to be a hybrid. So you look at like heavy duty mining equipment, for example. They're not interested in efficiency so much. They're interested in torque. To get the job done. Yeah, it's got it's got to have torque. It's got to have power. It's got to be reliable. Heavy duty. A lot of heavy duty mining equipment and construction equipment uses electric motors, electric motors for the drive axles, with a diesel generator up front. You hear that big diesel engine. All that is is a generator, and it's powering. It's sending current to those electric axles. And there's a um, um, I'm actually hoping to uh, I'm trying to get in, t- in touch with him to have him on this show. Um, and that's a great thing for people listening to the podcast exclusive here. The bonus episode uh, things you, you won't know in you, the regular show. Yeah, you, things you won't know. I'm I'm reaching out to a guy um, who runs this thing called Edison Motors. And you may have seen him on TikTok, on YouTube. Um, he has a Canadian company that builds electric trucks. And what they do you did you tell me about this before? I did, and what what they do is they basically do the same thing a lot of this heavy equipment uses. They have electric motors in the axles, and then they have a diesel engine up front connected to a generator and a small battery pack. That small battery pack is there for some of that intermittent load. If you romp on that throttle, you're all throttle. There's no actual throttle. You romp on that accelerator. Technically, that battery pack is there to float that extra charge to get you moving, and then that diesel generator kicks in, and that realistically is the most efficient way to do it. They figured with their diesel fuel usage, they get more economy than a regular diesel engine and they get more torque out of that electric than a regular diesel engine too. There's something else you leaving out of that. Right to repair? Right to repair. Right to repair. Yeah. Okay. So the guy behind it is a huge right to repair advocate and I've been following his stuff for a while and it's just taken me some time to put things together to try to invite him on the show. But um, he basically says in a lot of his stuff online, and if, if you're listening to this and you're curious about who I'm talking about, look up Edison Motors on YouTube. But he basically says, we want anybody in the bush to be able to fix this truck. And it's a logging truck, right? So this isn't a highway freight truck. This is a specific purpose-built heavy hauler off-road logging truck um, that's hauling 100,000 pounds of logs through the forest, basically. That's what it's doing. But that being said, they want to build highway trucks. They also recently said they want to build um, a conversion for standard pickup trucks, light duty trucks, stuff like that. But the right to repair is what's important here because 
Um, they said, we want you, to, we want you to be able to fix it in the bush because we built it in the bush. Like that's the coolest thing. So, um, I, I will, we'll see here. I'm going to reach out to him. He is a goal. He's a guest. I really want to get on the show and I've got some really cool guests lined up here coming into the new year, but that's just one of them. I, I can't, I'm a guarantee- huge advocate for the right to repair. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't guarantee I'm going to get him on. I haven't, I haven't for sure locked that down or anything, but that's something I want to do. And he's a huge right to repair advocate as well. Like we should be able to fix our own stuff. You know, what one of my biggest concerns is with the EV cars. What's that? It's not about the range. It's not about necessarily the battery pack. It's, it's the fact that, um, right now as it speaks, we have junkyards and although people find junkyards to be filthy and polluting, realistically, it is a fantastic opportunity in the economy. In my opinion, for small time people and, you know, people to be able to afford their old cars, to keep themselves on the road, to keep themselves self-sufficient by using used components, recycling the rest my biggest concern with EV cars is what happens when these start piling up in the junkyard because of failed battery packs. Mm-hmm. And the customer or the owner of these vehicles goes, I can't afford a $15,000 battery pack. I just might as well buy a new vehicle. Right. But you also have an extra logistical step there that if you have a battery pack, a failed battery pack, which is a fire hazard, by the way, you can't just like stack cars up in the junkyard with the battery pack. That means your junkyards are going to be likely part of their process is going to have to take the battery pack out first, then put the shell, the rolling chassis out onto my, the lot. Mike, I didn't even think about that, but my, my other concern was is like, what, what value do these shells have with no battery? Because the, all the electric motors are fin- fantastic units. They're incredibly reliable. Um, that that mean, said, what that are you going to do with them? Are, DIY are we electric swaps? swaps? Swaps. I but, think swaps is what we're going to do. <laughs> I, mean, I think it is, yeah. I wonder how long they'll last. I, I'm just curious how it might affect the junkyard world. Like, how the how we're going to see junkyards in the next decade or two. Because um, Teslas are already racking up lots of miles. As they are. one of yeah. the like primary electric cars that everyone talks about, I've already heard of million-mile Teslas. There's several million-mile Teslas, in fact. And most of them have had some sort of service at some point, either a mm-hmm. battery pack or some sort of motor fault. But typically, that's really low for a million miles. Like, okay, maybe you've got a five or $6,000 service for this part here. For a million miles is considerable. How many million-mile combustion cars do you find? You really don't, right? I mean, you have some. You've got like Matt Farah's... Um, a uh, million mile Lexus. You've got cars like that and plenty of people who put a million miles on a car, but I feel like those are the exception. Like you do a, a any car that you or I have, we can reasonably expect to have to do a rebuild on the motor somewhere around maybe 300,000 miles if we're lucky. 350,000. Yeah, that's being nice. That's being nice, right? That's <laughs> really being, being courteous. Nice. Yeah. I I'm, I'm now I'm thinking in my head all of the different possibilities like um could these cars also go multi-generation because they last so long and we see do we see some issues where like companies are recognizing the fact that the chassis are lasting too long? Are we going to see some sort of, um, Oh man, the, the phrase is eluding me right now. Planned obsolescence. Thank you. Planned obsolescence. I read your mind right there. Oh my gosh. Back and forth. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I am surprised that the EVs are, are doing what they are so far. And I'm wondering when they're going to dial back at some point and we're going to see these cars, not going as far as their gasoline counterparts or similarly, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, they have to make their money somehow. And I find already the fact that we can't adequately repair our own cars, just like we can't repair our phones easily. Right. This is, 
It's going to be interesting. Well, yeah. And I mean, you've got you've got the Edison Motors approach, which is we're using common parts that anyone can get. And the only not even proprietary, they're sourcing them from other suppliers. But the only specialty parts are the battery pack and the uh, the motors, which are built into the axle. They call them e-axles. And uh, so you have that approach. But then conversely, you have the polar opposite of that spectrum, which is the Tesla approach, which is much like Apple, the way they handle things with smartphones and computers, which is source. Yeah, the even if you do pry it open, you're you're likely not going to get parts for it yourself. Uh, And if you do manage to get parts for it, there was even a uh, kind of a debacle a couple of years ago. I recall I'm not a huge tech person in like the Apple space of things. You know, I like some of the more hobbyist type stuff. But there was a debacle with the fact that Apple had their um, one of their chipsets or something locked down to the point. It had some kind of checksum or some type of identifier that if you actually swapped the part, the phone would not boot, even though the part electrically, everything is correct. You may have soldered it perfectly. The fact is there is a specific checksum on this specific device in the firmware, not even in the software. We're talking firmware level that would prevent it from booting if you replaced it, which is just mind blowing, which is I have the part. I have the skill. I fixed it, but it's not working because I didn't take it to them. And Tesla does this same type of thing. And that's the thing we have these, you know, it's not so much, I think in the future going to be an EV gas battle. I think if anything, it's a soft transition. Gas is going to be around for a while. I personally don't think we're going to have this night and day, you know, suddenly it's all EVs. But the fact is the right to repair thing, that's different. And we're even seeing that with um, ice cars, combustion cars. We're even seeing that with them where it's harder to repair stuff. Parts are proprietary. There's so much electrical stuff going on. And all of that. And the, the cost of parts is ridiculous. It's absurd. I it, mean, we're talking about nuts. things that just switches. Um, I saw a dowel for sale the other day um, for a glove box, the hinge dowel. Uh-huh. Yep. The plastic little dowel was $50. <laughs> oh, man. You see, this is where, at least on interior parts, I love the world of 3D printing. You may not get that part perfect. It may not look exactly OEM, but it's probably going to work. That that at least is nice. And as other um, more affordable, like resin printing and stuff, where's Wesley Kagan when I need him? Because yeah. I'm talking 3D printing and he's got a Mark Forge Metal X metal 3D printer and a, basically a whole fabrication company. But um, that being said, you know, yeah, parts availability, too. I mean, even on I will say uh, the to an extent our older cars, you know, I'm using my broken Honda sitting there uh, next to you as an example. There is some planned obsolescence there, just in the fact that manufacturers will stop supplying a part after a while. They either run out of their stock or they stop manufacturing or it whatever. Is, it is hard to expect a manufacturer to keep things going for over a decade. It is, yeah. It is, but with, you know... But, you know, when there's a demand, you know, someone usually figures out a way to fill that spot. The aftermarket. The aftermarket. That's where the aftermarket comes in. and um, And so... You know, that's one of those things, too, with the aftermarket. Yeah, you can get an aftermarket replacement for, say, whatever part you need. Um, The thing I don't like when we're talking on the tech side of stuff, chips and parts knowing that you replaced them. So you go get an aftermarket one, but it doesn't have the right code on it. It doesn't have the right, you know, serial number on it. And therefore, your whole system decides to not work. And your cars are, at this point, computers on wheels, you know. I think what's, yeah, it would be more scary is the fact that our cars are so much more connected than they ever have been. Oh, yeah. Oh, not even to mention the data use. That's yes. a whole topic I haven't I haven't touched on the show yet, and I, I plan to go in depth on that at some point. It's just point. like I mentioned before, them having two SIM cards. Uh-huh. One of them's always active. Yeah. 
I think that's just wild to me that even when you don't pay for a plan, you're, there's still data being switched from your car to the cloud. Mm-hmm. And I mean, realistically, most of it's probably nothing to be con- concerned about, but it's just the fact that we live in a world nowadays where there is literally nothing that, nothing that you can do without someone kind of knowing about it. That's true. There is no privacy. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm not doing anything, so it doesn't matter to me. I'm not doing anything weird. So why do I care if someone knows the, the whole point is that the, is the principle of it. It's the yeah. principle of it. It's your data. It's your information. And that's that's a topic I think would be really fun to discuss on the show. Uh, Mozilla, the company behind Firefox, did a really comprehensive breakdown on how car manufacturers use your data. And that breakdown, I mean, it goes down to like they're using it and selling it to advertisers to even use like, for example, your, um, you know, your daily habits, when you start your car, when you do this, they're selling all that data, which seems meaningless, but an advertiser with maybe a particularly aggressive AI algorithm or something can use that data to predict how to best advertise something to you on your phone. It is, it is wild how little meaningless stuff can add up so quickly. And it just builds this profile of, of things you like and don't like in the way they can project advertisements to you. And other things too. I mean, it's not just advertisements. It's even the way that you're, you react with your technology every day is going to change. Right, right. In some ways better. But it's still, it's, you know, so many questions, such new technology. I think to wrap this back down to EVs though, um, the, uh, the way we handle those EVs in the, in the, in the uh, dealership is, is kind of interesting. And honestly, I think, I think I'm probably not the only technician that's probably scared out there. Um, knowing that these cars may be um, a game changer when it comes to the way we repair cars mm-hmm. and how much actual work there's to do. I mean, I don't want to necessarily complain that, you know, cars are more reliable, boo-hoo. I, I want people's cars to fail, nothing like that. But it does affect the jobs out there. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what a technician really is in 10 years. Right, because the skill set's going to change. I think more than ever, we've been doing involve doing things that involve connectivity and the way people use their center screen than we are fixing their cars. We're about squeaks and noises more than ever than, you know, the way an engine performs. And that's what I was talking about with Gen Z being more obsessed with the, the, not, not the feel of how the car drives, but the, um, the comfort, right. You know, it's unreal to me. All of my cars have squeaks and rattles and I don't care. Well, and also the S2K has got billet motor mounts. So like everything squeaks, things that you didn't know could squeak, squeak on that. (laughs) But the expectation (laughs) has gone up so high on the build quality of these cars. It's quite considerable. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think, too, it's going to be interesting. Um, I think you're going to have a lot of techs in the future, maybe getting their foot in the door in the industry from uh, electronics background rather than a mechanics background. Well, you know, we see so many people now, even even in that um, industry that are scared of doing wiring and repairs that involve like electrical circuits as if it's black magic. Which, by the way, is the opposite of you. You build harnesses from scratch and do all sorts of cool electronic stuff. But I think that's, I think in that sense, um, don't don't let it go to your head, but I think in that sense, you're, you're an outlier when it comes to techs. A lot of, you're right, a lot of people don't like the wiring stuff. And yeah. I think techs are going to, it makes people nervous. I think people are going to have to either change and get used to that. Even if we don't go full electrification, like I said, I don't think we're really going to go full electrification, but I mean, even with modern cars, you'd look at the complexity 
of the electrical systems in your modern gas-powered car, your interior electronics, all the CAN bus stuff that's operating everything in the chassis from your hazard flashers to the little bulbs in your ceiling, your little reading lights. It's all I mean, like CAN bus and even stuff. The, even the CAN bus stuff has evolved into flex ray. Really? And fiber optic. Okay. And I mean, even that stuff has its own interesting repairs. Um, that said, I think the other thing that's also changing is the way that fault handling's uh, written because um, a lot of people don't realize this, but for us, you know, we're relying on the manufacturer mm-hmm. to set us up with the tools and the material so that we can properly fault trace these cars. So, mm-hmm. you know, these cars don't tell you what's wrong with them. They're programmed to understand certain faults and you have to work with that to understand what's going on with the car. So your troubleshooting process is totally different. Yes. I mean, that's ever been the case since electronics got involved in the car. Um, a car that has like a computer that's programmed to handle fault handling, certain examples of it. I mean, it has to be programmed that way. Mm-hmm. Um, if it doesn't have the intelligence to understand that there's an open circuit in one of its functions, well, then the only way to diagnose that is you would have to go in hands and figure it out. Right. Um, well, and I mean, you, you delve into that point, con- component level troubleshooting, which is, I would say, entirely out of what a technician's realm of skill is that's delving into electrical engineering as a whole because when you start composing composing it's getting it's getting late it's getting late when you start troubleshooting components uh composing otherwise known composing composing yes um i swear i talk for a living but uh when you start doing that um you know as a technician a lot of times even in other fields other than automotive right um your technician is someone who fix who replaces components you know the whole a whole board for example of many boards your technician is not sitting there with an oscilloscope trying to actually figure out the specific component that's right, failed. What I see, what part, is there a resistor that's failed on this board? Uh, you know, where's, is there a ground loop? Where's that coming from? And all of that stuff, right? So you don't have that. And so as a technician, you know, like how can you troubleshoot something further if it's a failure of a, uh, of a component, you know, an integrated circuit on some integral component, how do you troubleshoot that? Well, I think you just kind of answered it. I mean, we're paid to fix the car, not diagnose specifically what goes wrong with each component. Mm-hmm. And that's why usually those parts are sent back. Um, and then obviously they handle it and they try to figure out what's going on. If it's even something that's going to be a pattern of failure. Right. And that doesn't mean that every part that fails in a car, you know, is going to be a recall. I, I think people get a little out of control when it comes to the idea of recalls. They just think that, oh my, that broke? <sighs> I wonder if uh, they're all breaking and it's not the case. And, well, <laughs> you get, um, <laughs> not to delve into this, this will, this will be a really long bonus episode. If we talk oh, about man. how like misinformation works on car threads and forms of, oh, oh, I had this problem and I had this problem and it must be this. And then everyone agrees that it's this and they're totally wrong. The and- worst is when they just shotgun a bunch of parts and then they go, I fixed it. How'd you fix it? I just threw everything at it. Well, uh, I, I feel personally attacked as someone who just throws parts at stuff. Sometimes sometimes you have to, but <laughs> you can't you have to. Yeah, it's not a good claim of fixing no, things. It's, it's really not. And I, when I, you talk about problems cars have like common issues, the forms are a hotbed for, you know, the second nowadays because of forms as well. I mean, forms have been around for, you know, 20 years now, Internet forms, if not well, more. But um, but that being said, uh, reporting of faults and weird issues, I think, has been. It gets blown out of proportion. Three people experience a certain type of fault with a new car. 
That's weird. And maybe it doesn't prevent it from driving, but then everyone says, oh, they all do this. It's all a common problem. When in reality, it might have just been from that certain run on that day. Uh, uh, Think about three cars in the span of how many cars they produce and the percentage that actually comes to. Well, and it's a very loud minority of people on on the forms. And then it gets repeated on, you know, a YouTube video and then on TikTok and then. Everyone says, oh, all of these cars have this problem with this one little thing. And maybe it's just like a one model year thing. Or maybe yeah. the the supplier who supplied that, you know, IC on that board that year had a bad batch in one area, right? But it becomes a whole thing. And, and I think because of the internet, we see that more than ever. But I also think because people uh, are more focused on little na- nags and bugs in their cars and how they actually drive, I think we're going to see even more of that, really. Yeah, it... I am really curious to see exactly what we're doing in the uh, next 10 years as far as technicians go. Um, and with, I mean, with the fault handling stuff too, maybe people will be more privy to, to, to electronics or wiring, but I think it's not going to be the relevant part of it. I think it's more going to be about software. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that more and more. Yeah. Is just the way the software works. We're constantly fixing things with black magic updates that have very few release notes and change logs. I saw a, um, uh, on, and on this note, and we should wrap it up here after this, but I saw a uh, post on Reddit of someone who had a, uh, I believe it was a Mustang Mach-E, the electric Ford thing. The that they, SUV thing? The thing they like to call a Mustang for some reason. Uh, I, I don't think anyone who works at Ford has eyes who calls that a Mustang. I, I don't think they do. They're, <laughs> I don't think so. But um, that being said, there was someone posted on Reddit a picture of the center stack, the the uh, the screen, the center screen, um, and it said, "Software update failed. Your vehicle is undrivable. Please visit the nearest service center." And then it had instructions for the tow truck driver. It said, "For the tow truck driver, do this, 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 and this to get the car into you know, quote unquote, neutral." Like, you know, someone could have faked that. I didn't verify that. But- we actually do have a tow mode that has to be specifically like. Well, I, I figured that's the case. Uh, you know, any any of these new cars has to. But but that that post was circulating all over the place. Talk about weird little bugs. I'm contradicting my own thing about like, oh, one little bug and like a thousand people, you know, uh, you got a big megaphone on the Internet when you have one little bug. But that to me was wild that that's even possible that, oh, your infotainment system uh, software update failed. Your vehicle's undrivable. The infotainment system should have nothing to do with the physical drivability of the automobile. You know, can we speak about drivability, about full electric vehicles for a minute? I know we're we're stretching this out a little bit, well, but I think you'd be interested to know. Okay, okay go for we it. We were talking about the way cold weather affects EVs, right? Mm-hmm. And I actually got firsthand to experience this week after our mishap at the radio station. Okay, yep. Um, I was trying to drive a customer's uh, C40 earlier, um, okay. trying to read, trying to diagnose this issue with an IHEFA, uh, not doing its thing. Anyways, I was told to keep driving the car to see if I could reproduce the failure. But unfortunately, you know, this week's been really, really cold. I'm sorry. <laughs> really it's okay. cold. It's okay. We're not on the radio. It's a family show. <laughs> uh, sorry. I'm a technician. And we swear like sailors. Anyways, I'll bleep that out with something like really creative. I'm not going to tell you what it is until, uh, until you hear it. I think I know what you're going to do, but anyways, getting back to it real fast. Um, I'd have you know that when I was driving it, obviously a full electric, I'm going to mm-hmm. drive it and see what it does. Um, so I put the pedal to the metal on this full electric car as I um, got onto a, some safer roads, um, open roads. Yep. And believe it or not, you know what it didn't do? 
Go fast? Go fast. It didn't go fast. Yeah, so there is a thing in the center console that tells you like how many kilowatts you're you're producing, how much mm-hmm. energy you're using. Um, and typically when you floor these cars, you're going to see like, I think like three, maybe 400 kilowatts. Okay. Some, some ridiculous number, right? It sounds like a lot. Um, I couldn't get it past like 130. Really? It felt maybe faster than my Subaru. Your Subaru is right now not very fast. Not terribly fast. Not no. terribly fast right now. So I, I found it interesting because it was the first time that I've I've put the pedal to the metal in an electric car because I swear to you, if anyone gets in a full electric car, they should at least try it once. Somewhere safe though, mm-hmm. to just pedal to the metal one of these cars to see yeah. how interesting it is. These are compared to you know, gasoline cars. Oh yeah, you will not be disappointed. Um, oh yeah, we'll talk about that that F one fifty Lightning I rode in, and the first thing the owner did. Uh, was take it to the drag strip like the second day he bought it. And there was a, uh, this was funny. I don't know if I mentioned this on the show. There was a car staged up alongside with us and the license plate, it was an Audi TT and it was modified. And it said 10 second TT was his license plate. Oh no. <laughs> and I was like, I asked, I was like, oh, that's already a losing do battle. Do you think we're going to gap him in the pickup truck? And he's like, yeah, I think we'll gap him. And then we gapped him. <laughs> and, and not that we ran a 10 second quarter mile we didn't he didn't run a 10 second quarter mile maybe that was a 10 second car at sea level i i don't know the right tires on the right yeah he wasn't running 10s either but it was just funny that like this guy oh 10 second tt and it's like okay you just got gapped by a pickup truck dude how does that make you feel (laughs) and and to put in perspective i mean all of these electric cars are incredibly fast off the line that's the thing though is electric cars are going to make speed like not cool anymore like it's just going to be average like everything's it's, fast and talk it's about it's actually kind of scary how fast they can accelerate it, it really is and now if you give someone if you think you have a fast car and someone like imagine if that's like uh imagine if they only ever uh rode in an electric car and say you actually have a 10 second audi tt all-wheel drive and you launch it still they're gonna be like oh yeah that was cool yeah, that's the, the, like not even going to be interesting the, to people who only have electric as their reference. Like, have you tried the one pedal drive? It. Have you tried the one pedal drive? In these I, cars? I haven't. I haven't. Admittedly, no. It is so weird. Imagine a car where it's just like hitting the brakes for you. Yep. You know what? One of the worries I have when I'm in these electric cars in the shop. What's that? Is that my foot's going to twitch? I'm going to drive through somebody because they're so fast. <laughs> but the way they've they've and map these throttles to the the way that these things produce torque, it almost feels like you have to throttle it to make it go fast. Interesting. But I mean, they can creep really slowly. I guess we can't say it's wide open throttle. Can we? Cause there's no throttles that open. <laughs> pedal to the metal pedal to the plastic, the plastic to the plastic, plastic to the plastic, plastic to the plastic, <laughs> plastic to the plastic. Oh man. The next generation of car enthusiasts are doomed. If I'm someone just can help us coin a better term for that, <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah, the next generation <laughs> is just doomed. If that's the term there, I want to imagine be... that in the next fast and furious movie. I want to be responsible for coining the next term for wide open throttle for electric <laughs> cars. That'd be great. There we go. There we go. We'll get Vin Diesel to say it in a Fast and Furious movie. You'll also know that um, while I was driving that C40, I th- so they, they do offer these cars with heat pumps. Mm-hmm. And I believe, I, I might be mistaken, but these heat pumps are supposed to make the drivetrain more efficient so that they don't have to use electric heat to do the climate system. Yeah. I think they're also used to heat the batteries or something because I did notice some weird things happening when I was driving the cold the other day, mm-hmm. even though the battery, um, the percentage was going down while I was driving it, the mileage was going up. 
Interesting. And I think that is because it was preheating the battery because your lithium ion batteries are less efficient at transferring energy when they're cold. Because at the end of the day, there's still a chemical battery relying on a chemical reaction. Just like when you leave your, you know, your tool battery, battery tools in the car or, you know, in the cold when you try to go use it. I was like, I just charged this thing and yep. it, it's dead. Yeah. Or if you ever left your cell phone in the car overnight by accident or, or the freezer, or the freezer. You put your cell phone in the freezer. I That's was weird. And whatever. You're a mechanic. You're a mechanic. You know, I get it. <laughs> cell phone in the freezer. Um, but yeah, I mean, lithium ion batteries, still a chemical reaction. That chemical reaction slows down in the cold. And that's why Tesla's, for example, um, and I do know this, um, if you are driving, uh, for example, or you, if you're going to start it, start it, I don't know, turn it on. However, the, I think they call it preconditioning, preconditioning. That's the word for it. And the, you can actually program in, like if you are, if it's really cold and you have a certain route, you can program your route that hits, say this charger and this charger. If you're road tripping in the really cold part of the winter. And I know folks who have road trip their Teslas in sub zero, uh, weather, in fact, and it does exactly that. It, it strategically preconditions the battery to have the optimal charging rate when you go there to actually charge it. I'm really curious if they'll do anything to keep to insulate these batteries further for sub weather because it, this is where I come to the thing with the whole diverse. I would much rather be driving in a, a gasoline car in the in the cold weather. Well, that and I mean the fact is when you turn the heat on in an electric car, you're you're expending energy to create that heat specifically for the sake of creating heat. For example, when you turn your heat on in a gas car, the heat in the cabin is merely a byproduct of the combustion process that's going to happen whether or not you've had that heat on or not. It's still less efficient, but compared to an electric car, you're using at least five kilowatts of energy to produce heat for your climate. Especially if it's really cold and you're cranking that heat out hard. And that only reduces your acceleration further, which I experienced. Yeah. It did get better with the driving it, but not incredibly better, which means that like the optimal time to be using electric cars is literally in like California weather. Well, yeah, that's that's where like all the people who buy electric cars are anyway. They're all Californians, every one of them. I will say that my route every day, I always see a Tesla. Oh, no, I do too, honestly. It's, it's getting more honestly, and more. They're, they're really commonplace. I remember a few years ago, like I remember seeing my first Model S like, gosh, what was it? Probably like seven or eight years ago, maybe even longer than that. might have been 10 years ago. I think they came out in 2012. It was it was an interesting sight. It's like, whoa, what's this weird car that doesn't have a grill? It doesn't have like it, yeah, it was, what's going on with the front? This looks like a kid's toy. Yeah, exactly. Or when I saw, for example, a Nissan Leaf I as well. I still think they're one the of the goofiest looking cars. They do. Well, that's why you have Ford on the on the F-150 Lightning. It's got a black panel of plastic where the grill would be because it would just look weird. We are so accustomed to seeing a grill on cars. That's like a face. Your car yeah. has to have a face. Yeah, I mean, it, what it, personality will it have without a face? <laughs> well, no, you're right, though. We're so used to seeing that. That is so ingrained in the psyche of the average person seeing what cars look like. Now, give it 50 years, maybe, and that might change in the future. Who knows? But the fact is right now, I mean, uh, manufacturers are putting essentially fake grills on electric cars because of that. Now, you have usually a little grill underneath there that actually is for the, the heat exchanger the, for the battery pack. But. I was watching the temperatures on that car while in that weather, and it was really interesting to see that it does not generate that much heat. Interesting. It was almost zero Celsius the entire time I drove it. Interesting. Interesting. 
Wow. Well, there's so much stuff to go into with EVs. We could talk for another hour about it here. Um, we've gone quite a bit longer than I even planned, and that's great because this is the this is the bonus episode. We're not tied the first bonus the first episode. bonus episode. We're not tied to the hard clock that I have to follow when I'm on the radio. Yet there's there's advertisements, there's sponsors. We got to pay the bills. That's how it works on the radio. But here it's just you, me whoever's listening and and we can just chat about stuff so by the way if you are listening here and you want more of this bonus stuff let me know your thoughts let me know your feedback on it facebook.com slash automotive adhd remember you can send those car sounds in and i play those on the radio and i'm sure we'll do some more bonus episodes we didn't even talk about standalone ecus we were going to talk about that. i am so excited to be back on to just talk about the really nitty and gritty with doing standalone stuff it's it's really cool. Or, There's or so just much. wiring in general. Does anyone have some wiring questions? Let's figure it out. Yeah, let's figure it out. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. If you're watching on YouTube or Rumble, comment below with there as well and let us know your thoughts on that. So, hey, remember, you can catch the show on uh, Spotify, iTunes, wherever fine shows in this one are downloaded. And of course, on the radio as well. If it's your first time hearing the show um, as this podcast version here, this show happens on the radio on AM 1460 and FM 101.1, The Answer, every weekend. So give that a listen. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode. I'll see you on the radio show.